This is your spoiler warning. If you have not seen this movie and you do not want it spoiled for you, this is the time to turn it off. Beyond here, we are not responsible for your actions. And also... Second warning, we are not experts. We do not hold ourselves out to be experts, and these are our opinions. Well, actually... Well, actually... Well, actually... Well, actually... This is all the sports on screen with the Well Actually Sporting Club. Here's your hosts, Maria and Sasky. Maria, what lesson did you learn from our last podcast? I don't like the teachery tone that you just asked that in. I've had plenty um, of experience with this tone. I was a Christmas elf. But, okay, fair. I learned that I'm not going to sing slash hum anymore at the beginning of our podcast because apparently it drove away the few listeners that we had. <laughs> Look, I will be fair. It's better you than me because one true fact of our friendship is that I am as close to tone deaf as you can get without being actually diagnosed as tone deaf and for the benefit of our friendship I have just stopped singing or humming in front of you or in your vicinity because you just look so pained every time. It does give me a little bit of pain but I accept it when we're at concerts because you look so happy and obviously at a concert you're supposed to sing your lungs out anyway so it does not matter. Is this also the part where you've taken me to the uh what was last where we went to Enrique and Pitbull Mm -hmm. and it was amazing and I had the least amount of rhythm of any person in that arena to the point that you just laughed at me from the seat beside me. You were the most white. I was the whitest person there and let's be fair I'm the whitest person in most rooms like I'm too pale to buy foundation half the time I'm basically a vampire in training. Like Australia was like how did this happen? Unsure. But. Unsure. Very good segue. Yes. Pitbull. So we want to talk about This Week in Sport, and we actually have a way to segue from Pitbull into sport, because... The Daytona 500 happened this weekend, yesterday. Um, It was a fiery spectacle that lasted a bazillion hours. And how is Pitbull involved in this? Uh, Pitbull is co-owner of Team Trackhouse, which is the team that Daniel Suarez races for now. And yesterday he was Grand Marshal of the race. And for anyone out there who's like... Eh, Pitbull. Just zip it, okay? Look, here's the thing. I want to be someone who judged Pitbull, but his music is fun. Like, it's good to dance to. The concerts were fun. Absurd. I was like, why are these girls wearing this? What is happening here? But it's just, like, fun. He has some song with Blake Shelton where they stuff and it's very catchy and yeah. Yeah, and I think he is very aware of his type of music and he's not there to be super deep and blah 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 all of serious music people are and he's also a very genuinely nice dude and has done a lot of work outside of music for different communities so just and i was also gonna be like and i will never really defend my music taste to most people because i know that most people think my music taste is garbage and i'm totally fine with that exactly because not saying it is but just i love 90s british pop bands and all of that stuff. I would judge me too. So the Daytona 500 went forever 
Ad quit so 10 hours, 12 hours. 10 hours, 12 hours. I think the race started at 3 because the broadcast was 2.30. Yeah. And then it was on lightning and there then was, rain. And... There was so much of a delay that one of the drivers went to McDonald's. <laughs> Panda in, Express. Uh, two, actually. One yeah. went to Panda Express and one went to McDonald's and bought his entire team McDonald's and then drove it back to the... I was about to call it the rink, and I was like, it's not even a stadium, the track. The The track. The track, yeah. In that sense, I think that NASCAR has much more fun camaraderie, I guess. Yes. Because I've heard of people toilet papering each other's RVs if the rain delays too long, or playing pranks on each other, or like they're going to get their Someone definitely, I remember hearing one, it might have been an IndyCar one, where they stole all of the wheels of, I think, Alex Rossi's. And Hinge was like, I didn't do it. (laughs) Just like, it wasn't me. And Connor Daly, he's in the corner, like, don't know what's happening. But yeah, you're right. NASCAR has a really good kind of camaraderie feel. And I find it really funny because a year and a half ago, I would have been like, ugh, NASCAR. And now it's one of the most enjoyable sports things I watch because I understand the tactics and and stuff from it. So I'm like fully a convert. Can't wait for the world to return to slightly normal so that we can actually go to a race. You've been, I haven't. I've been to one at uh, Dover and I was not sure what to expect. As expected, I was one of the only brown people there. Um, but it's like um, me going to a Pitbull and One Weekend concert. It's true. Um, but we camped and did the whole weekend thing, and it was just a blast. And it was so different from what I was expecting in a good way. So yeah, I would definitely go back. Yeah, you came back with such a ringing endorsement for it that I was yeah. like, I'm confused. I also and this sounds like good. Really want to go to the Roval because yeah. it's such a hot mess. Yeah, it is such a hot mess. I yeah. feel like we'd have to start by going to Watkins Glen because it's the closest. And yeah. then be like, okay, what is the biggest like, what, what are we doing? Are we doing Daytona? Are you doing Talladega? Are you doing Bristol? Yeah. One of them. Bristol's got a dirt track this year. It does. I'm so excited It looks that. fun. I think one of the things that's most fun is the difference where you can see on the ovals all of the cars yep. on the track all at once going around. There's none of this, oh, they came by my turn. Yeah. Now you yeah. wait for them Which to come back. Which is what we discovered up. when we went to F1. We were like, yeah. oh, oh, and then right. our screen doesn't have sound and no one knows what's happening. Yeah. So in other sports news. Yes. The, this isn't a NASCAR podcast. This isn't a NASCAR podcast because whilst we love it, we have nowhere near no. enough idea to do that. And we're nowhere near enough funny as NASCAR Twitter, um, which highly recommended. NASCAR has a very good account. Very good. Um, the Vegas Gold Knights mm-hmm. have new gold helmets and you have feelings about them. Yeah, they have gold and silver. Both are hideous. Silver marginally <laughs> so tacky less. tacky AF is yeah, how this is written AF. down for you in the notes here. <laughs> notes. Maria thinks they're tacky AF. It makes them look like those shiny plastic, something you would put on a Lego yeah. or something like that. Make me think of the, like, Notre Dame helmets or something like that. Yeah. They actually have silver helmets for one of the cricket teams in Australia, but they have blue and silver in a matte, shiny combination that actually works quite well. But, yeah, I agree with you. Tacky AF, not here for them. Like the fact that they're doing something different, so yes. you can kind of live with that because because hockey needs to try something. I just don't necessarily like it. I will rate the helmets above, and again, I mentioned this. Against the Mooderous and the white jerseys. Yes, the two episodes ago, Dallas's all-white jerseys. I will rank these helmets above that, yep. but still pretty low on the list. In other hockey news, our good friend, Tony D'Angelo, remains in the news because he has now got his own redemption arc in the last mm-hmm. two weeks. And... We are of the personal opinion that some people may not deserve a redemption arc for certain behaviours, this being one of them. However, he does have some backing on this one. Yes, or 
if they do deserve a redemption arc, if they earn themselves a it redemption has to arc. come at, it can't just be, well, I'm sorry, I'm listening and learning. No. Yeah, you're like, no, no, that's there not an actual There has to be actual fact. concrete work that's put in that yeah. can't be changed in the span of a week. So if this story had come out in a year from now or two years from now, and he could show that these are the things that he's done to actually learn and better himself, that would be different. But it was written by one of, I'm pretty sure, a journalist who is probably pretty well known around at least the East Coast, Larry Brooks. And yeah, then it was boosted by the PHWA, which is not a good look for them either. It's a terrible look for an organization that is predominantly, if not entirely, I'm not going to say entirely white because I, I'm sure I don't have a strong right. enough grasp, yeah, but it is predominantly white, predominantly male, predominantly heterosexual, all of those things that we associate with the game of hockey. Yeah. And here they are being and like... the hockey media. And the hockey media, which, you know, and, and to some of the credit of some of the people who are part of it, they're like, hey, we don't like this. We don't think this is, is good. But, you know, that... It, it's not even a new story, right? No. You think in hockey or anything else, you know, in NASCAR, Carl Larson went off and disappeared, had a cup, like, did a bit and things, and it's six months later, and he's like, hey! Yeah. Or he's like, yo! He did like, some marginal stuff to redeem himself in this sense. I still wouldn't say that he should be welcomed back with 100% open arms yet, but he definitely did he more did his, yeah. than Tony D'Angelo. Tony literally just went to a different city. and He's like, literally done nothing. Yeah. And I think it's just insanely incredible how willing we are as a society to hand everyone second chances for doing stuff like this. When and this isn't even a second chance. This is No, this is like a tenth chance. I, that being said, I still love the idea of Chris Crowder flattening him. It just really tell. gives me joy on a, on a deep level. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Before we move on to the actual topic of our, our show today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this, um, the Super Bowl happened. And we say happened because neither of us watched no. any of it, and I did not actually know which team was playing Kansas City until the day of the event. It was Tampa Bay. Oh, right, the Buccaneers, because Steven Stamkos and all of them were watching it. Yes, yes, Steven Stamkos and all of them were Steven watching Stamkos it. Steven Stamkos has and been placed on the COVID protocol. Yes, yeah, it was like, well, one thing follows another. Yeah, we didn't watch it, but we figured it deserved to mention because it is a big sporting event. I say big, not the largest in the world, but a big one. Yeah, which is um, where we had arguments with people this week. Oh, this week, every year. You yeah. know, the same argument pretty much and, every and year. It's, and it's always people who are North American-centric mm-hmm. versus people who have a broader understanding or come from outside North America. Yes. And so... The, the world, if you the will. World. Yeah, <laughs> who may be playing things like the World Cup or yes. sports that more than one country play. So we saw this argument this week about, like, everyone's talking about Tom Brady is the GOAT, like, yada, yada, yada. Personally, I hate that term, but I also believe in the idea that there can be many greatest of all times. I know that's theoretically not how it works, but really, I don't care. Um, Sasuke loves a good narrative. Yeah, Sasuke loves a good narrative. But someone put a a message up, actually, and you sent it to me. Um, Yeah. uh, Someone who works for uh, FC Bayern here in the US, and it was a screen cap of the Instagram followings of... Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, and Tom Brady. And mm-hmm. it was like 200 million, 180 million, 90 million, and then Tom Brady had nine. Yeah. And you were like, oh. Yep. So, you know, okay. Just the global reach, whereas Tom yep. Brady's reach. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there you could go a lot of places in the world where people mm-hmm. would know who he is. That being said, it's not... A lot more know who Messi is in those correct. places. There is, like, a Messi jersey on almost every kid. I don't think I've and... been anywhere in the world where I haven't seen someone in a Messi jersey, and that includes Cuba. 
Yeah. Or like or hungry or yeah. something like that. Yeah. The one that I, my my contribution to this argument, which was not an intentional starting of an argument, but I have now learned the great lesson that I apparently did not learn when Australia played India, that if you tweet the words Virat Kohli, someone from somewhere will come to involve themselves in it. And the point I was making was that Virat Kohli is, you know, arguably the best cricket player in the world right now. One of the best, but arguably the most uh, prolific, well-known, right. biggest following. He has just under 100 million followers on Instagram. So that's 10 times what Tom Brady does. Most people in North America who think Tom Brady is the GOAT have no idea who Virat Kohli is or what cricket is mm-hmm. and are still adamant that this other sport is not as good as their sport and it's the second most popular sport in the world. It's that very idea that the sporting world still revolves around the U.S. Mm -hmm. and North America to a degree. Which is, I think, something that you and I have been, I guess, lucky in the sense that we love North American sports, but we've grown up outside them. So we've always had a bit of a looking in kind of perspective. And once we've had professional sports in our own countries... They are in a lot of ways different. You know, the NRL and AFL in Australia are as professional sporting leagues, but the money is totally different. Yeah. I almost want to cheer for the Sydney Roosters now only because, um, was it last year's Super Bowl? They put up the billboard oh, yeah. alongside that were like, Sydney Roosters, world champions. I loved that. <laughs> I loved that. But to segue from this, this because you and I could talk about, as we say every week, we could talk about random sports things forever. It's what we do when we don't record it. it'll just be a rando episode. And yeah, we'll, we'll just be, be like... drinking and be like, does yeah. anyone want to listen? Yeah, we're like, it's not like we weren't drinking right now. But Vera Coley, cricket player, links us into what we're talking about today because... Okay. We're doing a cricket episode, which if anyone has decided this is the point to turn it off, no, it is not. And I promise you, it is not whatever you think it will be. Just... Tough it out with me for a minute here, okay? <laughs> just... Yeah, just hold on. Hold on to that. Get a drink, settle in. It'll all be okay. So, Maria, what are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about a movie that we actually did not see at any film festival. Nope, because it was definitely made a good 11 years ago. Yes, that's really weird to think about. So, this week we're talking about Fire in Babylon mm-hmm. that was produced or created in 2011. I think it did make a film festival circuit, but obviously. Yeah. Did Tribeca was... and Jamaica and a few things like that. Yeah, that was obviously before, you know, we were doing this. Of yeah, course. yeah. Um, I was in law school in Australia. <laughs> Directed by Stephen Riley, this film is about Captain Clive Lloyd and how he transforms his 1970s-era West Indies cricket team into champions who dominate the sport for a good chunk of time. A good, I think at that point, maybe another 20 years. Yeah, which is at least. insane And, and have set a foundation that. for even more after that. I'm like, nope, rein yourself back in, Sasuke. <laughs> One of the main threads of this that we will touch on is obviously the, the factual narrative is that this guy revolutionised this team, but it was also at a time of really social systemic change within the society, within the West Indies and in other parts of the world. And that's echoed through this as echoed within the team. Yeah, and those systemic and societal issues that we are still facing today. So (laughs) it's very relevant in that sense um, still. So what does the name mean? Fire in Babylon. In kind of Rastafarian speak, Babylon represents a system of oppression or a system of prejudice, wherever it is. So in this instance, a system that resides in the West Indies in, in, in that sense. And 
in this, I guess, naming, mm -hmm. the fire is the West Indies team. They are coming. They are righteous and wanting to stamp out this prejudice and, and these systems by their play, by showing the way in that sense. Burn it down. Burn it down. We are not having any part of this yeah. anymore. Yeah, I think I could hear you gasp from the opening of the film. The imagery was really strong and the cuts in between of the players. And then there was, I think, a photo of someone in a sugarcane field. So right away you get a feeling about what this film is going yep. to be about. There's a nerdy point to the first part and they are doing those cuts and they start with the younger kids and they show that idea of how you grow up playing the game and it reflects in a lot of countries, India and Pakistan, that idea of coming home from school and going to the beach or to the park or to somewhere and playing cricket until the sun goes down. You can change that for a lot of sports around the world. It's the same idea. Mm -hmm. And this uh, shows that, shows them playing beach cricket, which has its own set of rules too. Beach and cricket? Then it's yes, yeah. Well, you can't bounce Just a ball on a you uh -oh. can't bounce a ball yeah. on a beach, so there's slightly different rules. Also, it's like backyard cricket, slightly different rules. And these kids grow up and grow up. Um, and one of the final scenes you see is a guy who may be 17 or 18 in it. They show him, and they cut to the next part, and it goes into the story. What I love is that this kid in it is 17. He's now the captain of the West Indies cricket team. Oh, so okay. as I said, that I was like, I'm not 100 sure if he's the captain. He's the best player on the West Indies okay. cricket team the best uh, batsman that they have. An important have. figure yes, regardless. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Important okay. figure, the voice that speaks up, Black Lives Matter, all of that, he's the voice that is out there. So he's 17 in this. You don't know he's going to become that. He's obviously good. Mm -hmm. But when you look back now, and it doesn't even give you his name. This is just something that I, I was reading afterwards. But I love that link between it link. In, in that sense. My knowledge of cricket is very limited, even though you have explained it to me I would say probably close to 100 times. Can you give us a Coles note on what is cricket yeah. and where do the West Indies fit yeah. into this? So if you actually want to know the real rules of cricket, I will advise. Netflix has a really great series called Explained. Mm -hmm. One of their episodes, about 20 minutes, is on cricket. It's very funny and it's easier with visuals. But cricket is like Commonwealth baseball. It's if you had the Sounds English, like the fancy if baseball. you let the English come up with baseball in the in the 1500s, you'd have cricket. You run between wickets like you run between bases, kind of. Mm -hmm. You hit a ball with a stick. It's just a bit different sized. Mm -hmm. You have innings. They're just of a different length. And so if, if you understand baseball, you can probably get your head around cricket once you've just been like, here's the differences. I taught right. someone the entirety of cricket this summer, and I'm, I'm like very proud of myself about that now. Cricket comes nowadays in uh, three forms. So the cricket itself is cricket, right? Yeah. The rules are the same. It's just different lengths. So you have T20 cricket, which is 20 overs. That's which is what the, we watched, right? This is what we watched, okay. yeah. So T20 cricket is about three and a half hours. It's basically them making cricket into baseball. Okay. The reason they had to make cricket into baseball is because the next shortest one was called a one-day international. It goes for one day. It's about eight hours. So not that bad, but they had to create the one-day international <laughs> in the late 70s because cricket up until the mid-70s, late-70s, was Test Match Cricket, which is a five-day event. Oh. Five days, both teams wear white. <laughs> and it's like looking at a Brooks Brothers catalogue just when they're playing sport for five days. I see. Yeah, I think um, five days is a long time. and It's great. I've watched a lot of it over this winter. But you're right, five days is a very long time. I think it's harder for me as someone who watches as a novice is that you don't know who's winning. 
yeah you know the to and fro and the play and what's kind of happening and who's kind of ahead and not mm -hmm. and that but there's no winner clear cut we're the, winning there's no clear cut yeah. winning there is one lost yeah. drawn there is that yeah. at the end like it, there's no that i think one of the things in this documentary the west indies team is absolutely bad, terrible at test match cricket which is unfortunate because in the 1970s this is all that exists Nowadays, we have three formats, and each game has a different skill set. If you are a big, powerful hitter, you will just do so well in T20. The West Indies, some of the best T20 players in the world. Test match cricket, more tactical. And back in those days, um, they didn't have the experience, they didn't have the support, all of those kind of things. So it's a varied sport in that sense. It's really good to watch in the sense that you're doing other things and drinking and it's on at the same time. Right. It's perfect, soothing, paying attention kind of background noise. If you're watching test cricket, it's what I've done so many summers. I mean, that's how I watch Jay's games mostly. Yeah, exactly. It's like watching a baseball game in the background. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I will say for context, at the time that this documentary is placed in the mm -hmm. late 70s, we are also in the era where in global cricket, South Africa is banned from playing international cricket as a result of apartheid era politics. Right. They had refused a English player right to enter the country to play because he was black and the English went, ah, guess what? You don't get to play cricket anymore. And so South Africa didn't play cricket internationally for a good long time and that's probably the best thing the English maybe did as far as actually doing the right thing in some of these things this is a documentary about race yeah really it is mm -hmm. it's it every kind of thing that comes from this is the story of what it's like or what it looks like to be the West Indies a predominantly black country or the athletes who are excelling are predominantly black and what the English effects of that and the English attitudes and the Australian attitudes because, oh, God. <laughs> I'm not laughing at what she no, 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 said, no. but during the film, there were some touch-and-go moments where she made some terrible There was noise. definitely a part where they went to, they were like, Australia, and then the next sentence was about them being super racist, and I had already started to be like, oh, no, because I knew where it was going. And uh, to be fair, 100%, that's where it should go. I love my country. They are terribly racist people in large swathes of it, particularly when they've been drinking at sporting events. Yeah. It's not our finest look. No. It's still not our finest look, and this is like 30 to 40 years ago. Yeah. So you said this documentary is mainly about race, which I think another good thing that ties into it that we're going to discuss um, is colonialism, because those two are very closely linked when it comes to England expanding their empire. You, you can't talk about the game of cricket and what it looks like nowadays yeah, without colonialism. Yep, exactly. You think of all the countries that play, and you can, for the nearly all of them, at an elite level, they were founded or they were taken over or they were at one point run as part of the British Empire. Mm -hmm. The West Indies, Pakistan, India, New Zealand, Australia, you know, that's what you're working with. Yeah. Yeah, even down to the uniforms that mm -hmm. you see them wear. It reminds me of old they school They still wear knit jumpers. Yeah, the knit jumpers, and they yep. look like gentlemen with air yep. quotes around it. It's, it's insane. It's performance knit nowadays, but it's still <laughs> cable knit sweaters. Yeah. In all white. I guess cricket was the kind of English way to impart their aristocratic values. As you said, 
they looked like gentlemen. It was mm -hmm. their idea of being, this is the gentleman's game. We will teach you the values that you should have. Yes. And then all of these other countries became better at it than them and came and back and beat mad. them and they got mad. Surprise! In case you didn't see that plot twist coming. Yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's a really good line from it. I think the book that accompanied this a few years later, uh, where it says, the British had trained themselves uh, to create the empire mm -hmm. on the playing fields of a cricket ground. And then... They have now systematically losing the empire on those same grounds. Yeah. People are re are using this sport to regain their power from the people who have taken it in their sense. Mm -hmm. That's just one more layer from the actual different territories and colonies taking their independence, their actual independence, away from the empire. So you have Britain losing a lot of its territory, or to the sense it's shifting where they're independent, but they're still like a commonwealth nation if yep. you, hello we live in canada so, yeah. Um, yeah but then you also have like you said they took this game over there they went over with plantation owners yeah. in the 18th century and this was taught to slaves mm -hmm. and now those same slaves whether or not it's probably not the same generation but later generations are coming back to beat them at their own game in, in, in earlier generations of cricket within uh, the west indies there were rules about how many black players you could have and what positions were they allowed to play they were only like oh they only can play fielders that's all they're capable of doing because they didn't want them doing that or they knew that they maybe were better or all of these things. All of this, as we said, is about race. There's a lot of stories coming out of these generations and even still nowadays, this is not something that has ceased to exist, where it talks about the stereotypes of what West Indies players could be. And back in the 50s and 60s, the captain of team always had to be white because the captain is in charge of the tactics and none of the black players could possibly be capable of doing that. So you're finding the world's best players are being captained by a guy that's on his university team <laughs> and isn't great at it, but he is white. He's automatically a, still a level above them simply yeah. because he, of his skin yeah. color, essentially, is 100%. what that's saying. Yeah. I think it was the 1960s before there was a first black captain of the West Indies, and it actually came about because a cricket-loving Marxist political writer basically just started shit. And everyone was like, actually, that seems like a bad idea. Let's have a captain that we actually like and is good at things. Yeah. And that happened. Yeah, it's less of a figurehead in that sense and more of an actual captaincy of who knows the players and the tactics and all of that stuff um, yeah. better. Yeah, cricket is a weird sport, as a side note, where the coaches don't actually lay out the tactics during a game. It is the captain on the field calling who's bowling, calling where people are being uh, put in the field, all of that kind of stuff, which does make it a very interesting difference to what we traditionally would probably know in a North American sense about yes, sport. definitely. I think that... When you mention the white captains, the one that really stands out to me, I think Tony, how do you say it? Tony Gray. Yeah. yeah. There you go. You yep. knew his name right away. Yep. I know who we're talking about. Well, the funny thing is, I never knew this story about Tony Gray for a lot of my life. I've known this one for a, a little while, but I grew up on him being a commentator in Australia. He was one of the voices that I knew that echoes my childhood. Obviously, after this has happened, there is a lot of, like, he did this, they did this, these things evolved out of it. Right. But it's still like, oh... This was still a moment in his life where yeah, he said exactly. this thing and yeah, he had said these this. particular attitudes at this point in his life. Yes. And yeah. so... so um, the quote of it is, to provide the context, the West Indies have gone to Australia and lost the series, like, five games to one. They've got just obliterated. 
and then they've come back to the West Indies and Clive Lloyd, their captain, which is where this narrative starts, mm-hmm. is like, no, no, we're going to do it our way. We're changing how we're doing this, yada, yada, yada. They do a bunch of things. They go to England and the English are basically like, ha, 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 ha. We're <laughs> going to like just beat you. And so Tony Gregg has this quote where he goes, you must remember that the West Indians, these guys, if they get on top, they are magnificent cricketers. And that is 100% true. But if they're down, they grovel. And I intend, with the help of Closey and a few others, so people on his team, to make them grovel. What an interesting choice of words. It's a very interesting choice of words. I feel like it's one of those ones where you knew that it didn't mean good things. You maybe didn't... Yeah. fully comprehend but you knew that it was probably not something you should have been using because the connotations were too obvious to have ignored. Yeah, I think that also though, while the connotations were that obvious, it speaks to the fact that it was okay to say that kind Mm -hmm. of thing at that time still. And you also see at that point when the team goes to England and they interview all those randoms in the different places and they're like, oh, immigrants are bad. And I was like, was this filmed yesterday? Because still having the same conversations about how there's too much immigration and people are coming in and blah blah blah. And you're like, interesting that that'll only seems to come up when people are not white immigrants. Yeah, completely. Hey, I'm an immigrant to Canada. I've been here six years. I think someone has had a go at me for being here in my entire time here twice. And both of them were people that were just annoyed I had a job in hockey. And they didn't. And I was like, okay. Like, I... No one's gonna bug me. Do you want to be yelled at on the internet by Yeah, yeah. Do you want someone someone to, like, tell you that they're gonna murder you? No, it's not fun. But I think the thing is, you said... It doesn't change. And that and that's it's 2021. 2020, 2021. You almost didn't know a year. No, 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 no. The, the reason I say that is last year, mm-hmm. uh Joffre Archer, who is a player who plays for England, he is black, one of the few black players on the team. If I think he's the only one at the moment. Oh no, he's not the only one at the moment, but he's the most prolific. He's a fast bowler, very out there, great. The amount of racist vitriol he gets from his own country. Yep. Which is hilarious because the captain of the English T20 and one day team is Irish. This, this is where I'm like, none of this makes sense. No. I, you don't even know what you're mad about. And, and the thing is the same. Australia, once again, love my country, needs to stop racially abusing Indian cricket players at cricket matches. You know, test cricket has a super big problem with that because you go there for eight hours and they just drink. And, I mean, the beer snakes are impressive. We have the record for the world's longest beer snake. It's somewhere about 200 metres, which we're inordinately proud of. But that's a lot of boost for people to be drinking. And that's a bad idea where bad things come from because it brings out the that already exists. It is a reminder of, and I think about this sometimes in other contexts from sport, of how thin society really is, like the layer on top of it that's keeping us being polite to everyone. So when you introduce alcohol into the mix, people who have held on to these attitudes for so long, just simply because it is systemic and it's not necessarily that they don't know why they think these things, but people have been brought up to think this way. Or they don't know... Some of it is also, like, you, if you ask them, they probably wouldn't say, oh, well, this person and I'm person are different. Yeah. But they just still think it's an okay usage of a slur to get yeah. them off their game. Yeah. And something I will say is that I have seen on numerous times people rat out their own crowd be like, no, it's that guy. No, like, 
we don't care if you support our team. We have no interest in that. It is hard because sometimes you have a stadium of 90,000 people there. Or you did because no one has a stadium of 90,000 <laughs> people anywhere right now, even New Zealand. Um, mostly because they don't have yeah, one that big. I, I think the thing that it comes back to, too, is we are just starting to wake up as a society to mm-hmm. impact being greater than intent. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe you said something terrible and you're like, no, no, I was just joking. You're I didn't like, no, mean no, it no. like that. Guess what? That doesn't make that other person that you hurt feel any less yeah, bad. Yeah, completely. Yeah. That Indian cricket player that you just called a monkey and a, I think brown bastard was one of the ones in the recent series in Australia. That's not going to make him feel any better. He's playing in his first ever test match. He's stoked to be here and you are ruining it for him by curling him. And and the thing is also that no one is excused from it. The English players say things to the Irish players. Mm -hmm. The West Indians say things to someone. The Indians say things to the West Indians. The Australians seem to say something to absolutely everybody. You guys like to talk a lot. Yeah, we do. Yeah. You know who doesn't annoy anyone or say bad things apparently? New Zealand. I was going to be like, New Zealand, it yeah, has to be yeah. New Zealand. No, I'm sure they do. Um, I was just like, New Zealand, everyone loves loves New Zealand. But we're talking about, we, we're kind of shifting as a society, and we see this in cricket too, away from the idea that racism is just these big banner points. Mm-hmm. And to, to the smaller things, yeah. one of the issues the West Indies had is that the reputation that they had was as these kind of entertainers. They were great batsmen. They didn't have the knowledge or the tactics or they couldn't stick it out for a five-day test match because it is a lot of stamina. It is a lot of these things. And there's a lot of reasons for that from the money that they were supported with, the, the experiences they had, all of that. But they got given this term called Calypso Cricket. Nowadays, that has actually been in some ways adopted by them for different um, things, but it, it was never meant as a compliment, really, right. when it was used back then. And they were really aware of that and that image that they had been given in that sense. It, so they went to Australia, mm-hmm. they came back, and they had lived up to that reputation. And they were just like, no, we don't want to be the, this team anymore. Yeah. You know, We don't want to give people a basis for that name. And the best part of it is they basically didn't. They went to England and obliterated the English who were like, oh, no. What and then they just saying? Beating the masters? Yeah. The, so there's, um, and I have seen this not just from the West Indies. I think I actually got the line from an Australian cricket broadcast. And the general idea is that, you know, the master that has given you this sport, you know, mm-hmm. they've taught you yep. this sport, and now you've gone back to beat the master at their own game. Yep. I think the um, one I saw on Australian TV was like, you sent us out, you sent us your worst, and now we're back to beat you. Yeah. I was like, mm, very dramatic for the Ashes, it's guys. It's a very uh, heavy phrase, but I think it's it, like beating the masters. No. It couldn't be more clear. No. The implications of what it that means. It shows that, yeah. that. The thing you also are seeing, if you look at this series, I don't think it was this series. I think there's uh, there's another one maybe four or five years later. I was like, I'm not sure if it's this one or that one. In cricket, you win a series, they call it a whitewash. That's what they do for, mm-hmm. you know, everything. This got called the blackwash. And the West Indian community came up with this and turned up with signs <laughs> with it on it. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be using that term. If you look at the photos from it, there's these incredible photos of the West Indian team in England and the crowd is half West Indian. They're like, the crowd looks like us because mm-hmm. they haven't had anything that looks like them. Yeah. And we've shown up and they're like, we're here. 
and you see them like lifting the trophy and the crowd in front of them, literally I was looking at it and I was like, I could see three people in this who are white and two of them are policemen. This was something for that community that was being so badly treated and so excluded from society to latch onto. Here's England's game. Look at us do it. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things, again, where we've discussed in different contexts on different episodes of people that are outside of the societal norm automatically becoming a representative of their community, whether it's in sport or in film or whatever that case may be. This team was definitely carrying more of that burden on their back than just, yeah, guys, we got to win this game because we want to beat this English team. It was more for the whole massive community that was there that were being treated so poorly in everyday life. I think something that makes this team so interesting as a conversation point or as a documentary subject is they were great. They were incredible. You're talking to these players, you're talking to uh, Viv Richards, Michael Holding. These guys are some of the most incredible players. Like none of them were playing when I was alive even for most of it. And I know who they are. I know how they played because they were just so iconic that it, it got passed down. And they won for 20 or 30 years. They laid a foundation. The Western Indies are not the greatest at, at test cricket anymore. Why? Because they won the last two T20 World Championships because they're very good at that. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we make more money doing this. We'll do this instead. They've won a one-day championship. Like, they're very good at other forms of it. But this team went and they did this, but it was not about winning cricket in itself. And you talked about people being representatives. Mm-hmm. These guys knew that, and they took that incredibly seriously, and they made that a point. It wasn't even that they were like, okay, we take this seriously. They were like, no, 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 no. We are doing this for that reasons. There's a really interesting part in the documentary where uh, they're hanging out with Bob Marley, basically. Yes. Yeah, I didn't realize that like yeah. he was involved. I mean, I'm, it makes sense now that I think about that. Yeah, <laughs> and so you have Viv Richards. He's like... He was my hero and we were his hero. And so we just hung out. And then he's like, I support these Rastafarian ideologies. That's where I am, where I am. And so I take his messages seriously and I carry them with me. And I that's what I want to do with this. That's the kind of moral structure I come to this um, from. And for the West Indies in this time, we're talking about a real point of change. And we see that point around the world. We knew people were more and more stepping up against apartheid politics, which you know, still took another good 15 years. There's actually a really good story in it where Viv Richards is talking about someone telling him about how Nelson Mandela liking how he had batted in something. And he was like, what? <laughs> like, he just was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> But this was an an independent generation. This was the first generation that had been, like, born kind of under the rule of of the English more so and were now independent and growing up as more for free society, more control over these kind of things. And that's what they were using cricket to, you know, it's like very much cricket or or sport is a a tool to help things. And normally you're just kind of like, uh, yeah, okay. And you're like, no, 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 this really... This is actually This is what they mean when they talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't like it, then, I mean, I don't know what to tell you because... I mean, sports isn't political, but... No, 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 no. No, sports... We're writing this and I was just going to be like, the the one where sports is still political, version (laughs) 27. (laughs) The documentary itself, it's a lot of cricket footage Mm -hmm. and a lot of newsreel kind of stuff. 
is interspliced with interviews so it's a very standard form of, of documentary filmmaking in that sense but it does a really good job of capturing the personalities of the players because I think that really helps you understand what drove them what the feeling of how they went about things was yeah and a lot of the interviews too were very i would say candid is the right word yeah um, i need them to stop saying i would like die playing cricket or something like that because i was like please stop saying that guys <laughs> let me tell you four years after this someone does please stop saying that yeah the interviews are very candid you never got any sense that they're trying to gloss over how they were treated or what no. happened to them in that sense they're like well here's what happened obviously i'm still alive today and i've survived up to this point in general life and we've done these things but yeah there was no prettying it up for the film yeah it, it really gave you that honest they called a spade a spade. Yes. You know, what they went through, how they viewed it, what they did, why they did it. It's really well explained in this. And all of them are very, they're very, like, eloquent in the way that they explain it. It's very practical mm -hmm. in that sense. This is what happened. Mm -hmm. Here's how and why. They talk a lot about that idea of you know, their team represented trying to essentially, I think the language someone used was using sport as a way to emancipate themselves mm -hmm. from the English identity and, and that kind of thing. And also to show a defiance of the kind of prejudices that they were up against. Being like, oh, I'm sorry, England. Nah. Like, sorry about that. We're going to come and beat you at your own game. And then we, you know, peace out, yada, yada, yada. We'll just yeah. go back and then we're going to come back for the next 25 years and beat you still. <laughs> I think the correct phrase is actually, yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. <laughs> oh, the phrase that confuses everyone that I speak to. They're like, did you mean yes or no? I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's... <laughs> That's such a terrible Australian habit of just being like, um, <laughs> That's not a word. Um... Something that I did like about this too, though, is so when you think of cricket, you think of most sporting things, you think of a team representing a country. The West Indies is a collective of c countries, mm -hmm. islands, yep. um, who have banded together to form this group mm -hmm. to compete on an international stage. I think this may be one of the few sports where they do do it. I know they don't in a lot of other ones because Jamaica definitely represents themselves in a lot of other sporting things. Yeah. But it is... Jamaica, but Barbados, Montserrat, a whole bunch of places. I was also like, oh, that's where Montserrat is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly. I think there's 15 different country, islands, countries represented on the team. They have a Caribbean Premier League at the moment, and they're all on different islands in, in that sense. But you're talking about different countries. Mm -hmm. And so this team itself also comes in, not only showing a different way for them to act or a different way to to feel about themselves it's in in a sense drawing uh this idea of who we are as a collective group is more than this political divisions that we currently have or what's happening and it becomes a thread through the islands for the the black community it's it kind is of like stronger something. together yeah, than, yeah. yeah. it is a, it is a thread that also binds them in a way that everyone gets can get behind because yeah. they all are really they love cricket i mean <laughs> i mean i can't even say that like i'm just cuz i was like i love cricket <laughs> i don't even remember not loving cricket it's just it's like an Australian New Zealand birthright. That's basically it. Was my mum and I spent the whole summer calling each other and being like, "So, did you see the Brisbane Heat game last night? What about the end of that Test match?" And my dad's like, "Love you, great, 
You mentioned Cricket's capacity to act as that vehicle for an emancipation agenda. One of the things that really stood out to me in the film was the sweatband colors. Yes. Yep. The ones that Viv Richards wore. So basically, like, we're kind of familiar. I feel like it's a pretty familiar color pattern of, like, the green, gold, slash yellow, and red. But they actually share what those things mean. Yeah. Um... Viv Richards, who is uh, widely regarded as one of the best batsmen, if not the best batsman of the modern last 50 years, mm-hmm. just incredible uh, to watch play, he would wear a sweatband and it was a green, a yellow, gold mm-hmm. and a red. Yep. And it stood for the land, the blood that had been shed and the gold that had been taken. He always said, yep. no, I'm a proud African man. I didn't cut my family heritage didn't come here by choice. I'm still proud of, of those things. Um, and white people took a lot of stuff from They did, 100%. Yeah. I was like, we did. Collectively, <laughs> I am very white. My family is English. Yep, we'll just, I'm going to be like, yep, we did. Um, something I did notice, though, when I was looking at this up. So in cricket, we award trophies for series. Okay. And it's generally between countries. So Australia and England, we play for the Ashes. You know, five test match, it's called the Ashes. Australia plays New Zealand in a specific series we have. It's called the Chapel Hadley, two players. There is now one, the West Indies and uh, England has started theirs. Uh, they finally named it late last year. And it's the Richards Botham. So Botham, uh, this guy called Ian Botham, who played on the other team. And him and Viv Richards are like brothers. They played English cricket together. They're like very, like, he's like, my opinions on things are what Viv tells me that they should be because he knows better than I do on these things and I wouldn't want to disappoint him. And he's like, they offered me this much money to go and play in the South African Apartheid Rebel League. And he's like, and Viv told me he wouldn't forgive me. So I did not go. So when I was looking at these pictures, they were, I don't even know where Botham was playing, but he was playing for England somewhere. And I was like, that's a second. And he has... Viv Richards sweatband on. Oh, and okay. I was like, and that's a really specific color combination on an Englishman where they just wear all white. They're yeah. very. There's nothing. There's no excess there. And I was like, okay, I'm sure there's an interesting story there behind it. But it was just something I noticed in the imagery uh, today, and that stuck out to me. It's funny the stories of international cricket friendships are a lot more now because of t20 competitions and Mm -hmm. things like that but there is still some great ones from just random things over the years that are really interesting to uh hear because it is very different to north american sport in that sense it's just country versus country yeah yeah they used to make you get on a boat and sail to england and play them for four months and then come back Yeah, that's basically, we'll be back in six months, guys. That's a big tramp. Like, yeah, it is, it is, we took it very seriously. I think you still do. Yes, we do. <laughs> we like, do. took, that's past tense. <laughs> so this story starts in the early 1970s. Mm-hmm. Really, the story of West Indian cricket starts in the early 1900s. The actually remembering or deciding that black players can play cricket doesn't start till the 30s, maybe. Let them do proper things is still the 60s. You're starting to get to a point here where they are, you know, you are looking at teams that are predominantly black. I think right now the entire the entire team is, and as far as my, my recollection has been, like that has been what it has been for my whole watching existence. But these teams have become so dominant, and we see that in this. We see them roll through the dates where they went this long without losing yeah. a series. Back in the day, there was two teams, like, theoretically everyone in the world knew of from their domination it was the brazilian football team 
and the West Indies cricket team because they were that good. Not even like the All Blacks are not on this list. It's Brazil and the West Indian cricket team. I didn't even make a noise of disgust or anything. I know that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know how you feel about the Brazilian uh, football team because they are Brazilian and various forms of things that they have done to your country over the years. Yes. I'm going to love better at this one. I was like, I know why we don't like <laughs> this. Yeah, I know where these opinions come from. But, you know, the West Indies became this powerhouse. Mm-hmm. This documentary captures the legacy of the people who are what built that. You know, many of these players didn't retire to the late 80s, mid-90s, some of them. Because they're drawing from a smaller talent pool, they played for longer. And unfortunately, on the flip side, that is the same problem they have nowadays. You think that you have 24 million people in Australia, even with the amount of different sports people want to take a play you still have a larger pool to draw from the west indies doesn't have that they've gone more towards athletics because they've succeeded so well in it there is a lot more money in it that's where things have shifted so the team has in a sense particularly as a test team that they did beat the english last year very sadly once once and so they've kind of slunk back when you look at it now the only teams that are worse than the West Indies in the international standings, Bangladesh and Afghanistan, and they don't really play a lot of test matches. Maybe Ireland. Yeah. You look at their the batsmen, you know, I think the best batsman is like 29th. There's like four Australians and three New Zealanders before you get to that. It's, it's a very different um, thing, but what they do have, and we see this, thread back of the Calypso cricket attitude Mm -hmm. that they were famous for and that they didn't like and they've now embraced because the West Indian cricket players are and they they use this term this up they're like we're the hired mercenaries of T20 cricket (laughs) we go to Australia and play we go to the IPL we go to the Caribbean Premier League we go to Bangladesh we go to Toronto like you and I have been yeah. to a cricket match here and members of the West Indian cricket team were playing in that. I have to say that was a really fun summer. I mean any outing in the summer now would be fun, but anyway. Um... That was fun because <laughs> that was fun because everyone thought you were the person that knew stuff about cricket. Yeah, I fit right in and then I something like a good play would happen. I can't even say what play because I don't know what to call it. But then Sasky would be like, Yeah, jumping up and then I would just be like clapping politely because I, I had no I idea. think right at the end they, they were going to like super over and it was just after the world cup had happened and New Zealand and England went to a super over and they were still tied and so England won the world cup on like boundaries it's like oh yes it was just it was insane drama. and so they've gone to this in this game this is the what final game and I've stood up on the bench in front of me and just yelled like very loudly you don't want a super over you know how this worked for New Zealand and the person beside me just looks up at me and goes oh Australian (laughs) and I was like at that point he stopped thinking I was a rando Canadian (laughs) it's true I was the rando Canadian Chris Gale who is one of the best batsmen in the world iconic West Indian Creek player he came and played that tournament you know I think that's who I'm thinking of yeah I was I was like the one that had the picture of me hugging yes yeah the cardboard cutout yes but West Indian uh, cricket, that, that's what they're, they're known for nowadays. The T20 World Cup was meant to be last year in Australia. It's not. It's in India this year, and they're going to do it in Australia next year. I don't know how there's two back-to-back, but I'm not, I'm not arguing. Um, West Indies have won the last one and the one before that. That's what they're great at. I right. think a lot of the other countries have caught up now, but that's really kind of... Where they put their focus, That's where they put yeah. their focus because it's also what is financially lucrative. Right. You know... 
it's less important for, you say, an Australian test player to go and play those things because he has a lot more options. I mean, they still will because someone's going to pay him $2 million because he's the world's best bowler or something like that. But it's more financially lucrative or it's okay for them to just, I play test cricket and I do this because I get sponsorship deals or I can do these things, so forth and so forth. Western needs don't necessarily have the access to that and the game itself, that's where they've evolved. And also, to be fair, they are great at this form of play and the kind of interaction part of it. It's very something that we see them... It's funny because they're like, we've gone away from this and now they've turned back into embracing it. And they come in and they're like, my nickname is Spice Man. And I was like, <laughs> I said, did he give himself that nickname? And so it's like, the only people that are allowed to give themselves a nickname are the West Indian cricket team because like, we're all like, you know what, fair enough. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know what, I would not argue with anybody. The game itself has changed, the countries have changed, the politics of the West Indies hasn't changed. I think it's interesting when you see this and you think of the contrasts and all of that. But at the end of the day, the things that we're looking at in this documentary, things that we look at every day still, different versions, Mm -hmm. but England and Australia are still racist and black players in many sports around the world world, are still facing the same things that they were and are still trying to use their voices Mm -hmm. to make the same changes. And are being held to different standards. They're being held to different standards. What I will say, and I have this as a graphic on our social in the coming week, Mm -hmm. is when everything happened last year, so we had COVID, we had George Floyd, we had the Black Lives Matter movement, there wasn't cricket being played. So it had been suspended. The first game back is England versus the West Indies. And the English basically showed up and were like, what do you want to do? You tell us what's happening. We're not the ones here who are going to be like, what about this? We're like, no, no, no. You guys tell us where we're going, what we're doing, what's happening. We can't be in charge of this. Yeah, yeah, they're like, it's not our space. And so there's this photo and everyone in the image, and it's an empty stadium, everyone in the image is kneeling, and all of the West Indians team have the one black glove Mm -hmm. salute and they're just lined up and it's one of the most, like... I was like, wow, look, cricket's doing something meaningful. (laughs) I love this sport, but that's actually something it's, yeah. it's a really dynamic kind of it's, it's funny to be like it's dynamic no one's moving uh-huh. but it's a really great image i just love cricket <laughs> <laughs> so it's been an hour almost <laughs> and saski is now curled into a ball on the floor because she loves cricket so much i'm so sorry <laughs> at this point yes cricket's great but the thing is also Cricket is not a sport that I think people can fall in love with unless you were really in love with it as a kid, maybe. Or you get an acquired taste for it, but it's, it's a very weird sport. I feel sometimes that way about baseball, too. Don't get me wrong. There are games I will enjoy baseball. I like going to Jay's games. But, yeah, I think that it's still something that you can like. And like you said, if you have it on in the background, like, yeah. for you it's soothing. For me, it can be soothing, but it's in a different way of And it life. has female commentators. There you go. Female commentators who are just like, they're commentating and like they're commentating and respected by all of the peers who are also commentating who are some of the greatest male players of all time as the person that knows more than all of them. And it's just like, oh my God. (laughs) It's just like. Comforting. It's just like, it's the future. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're great. It's great. I'm fine. Don't mind me.
Uh-huh. So to wrap this up, um, again, we didn't watch this at a film festival. It's available on Canopy, which mm-hmm. is a free service. You can sign up through your library, which is actually pretty awesome. I think you can probably get it on some Amazon Primes yes. in some other countries. So check that out. If you are not in Canada, it's something. It, it's, it's findable. Yeah, it's definitely findable. There is a book that accompanies it that came out in 2016, same name, which is also a really interesting read, has a lot of great depth uh, political analysis of it, a lot of great quotes, things like that. Yeah, when you think about it too, there's a lot of political stuff going on because like the Cold War was during the 70s too and all of that stuff. So I mean like... Yes, this was about cricket and, like, them reclaiming the game. And but is anything ever about... But there's always those outside influences, too, of world events. So, yeah, a great um, movie to check out. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. You don't need to understand cricket to know no. this. There's bits where I, I gave you more background, mm-hmm. but you don't need that background, I think, Sometimes to... the background were just, like, weird noises. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> That's basically how this works. Yeah. Well, for um, another episode, mm-hmm. uh, I am Sasky. I'm Maria. And I'm going to go watch cricket replays. I have nothing to say to that. Bye.